official podcast coverage of OzCert's 2012 conference is brought to you by Arbor Networks. Smart. Available. Secure. Datacom TSS. Discreet. Niche. Tailored. And Sophos. Secured. Hey everyone, and welcome to this special sponsor podcast uh, coming to you from Ossert's 2012 conference on the Gold Coast. I am Patrick Gray. Our three sponsors have all chipped in so that we can bring you this coverage and, you know, get everyone paid and, and, and working on it. So we're publishing two sponsor podcasts from each of our wonderful benefactors uh, throughout the duration of the conference. In this podcast, we're going to chat with Richard Byfield, who is the founder and general manager of Datacom TSS. Now, you've probably not heard of Datacom TSS because they're a relatively new Australian company, which is backed by the Datacom Group, the uh, large integrator. Despite the backing, these guys are an independent company uh, offering the usual sort of stuff like penetration testing and app review. Uh, but what makes them a little bit different are their founders. They used to work in the security and intelligence community for the Australian government, which means they've spent a lot of time viewing the threat environment from a slightly different perspective to the rest of us. With that in mind, I thought it would be interesting to ask Richard what it was like for him to transition from his previous place of employment into the private sector, and here's what he had to say. So I used to work in the Australian intelligence community for well over a decade, Security intelligence is probably a better way to put it. So I worked for the last, uh, since 1998 in the Australian intelligence security uh, community. And what were you, um, and what were you mostly doing? Primarily, uh, capability development. I started out as a software engineer and then moved into cyber and information security from about mid 2000, so 2004, 2005. And in that time, I was posted over to New Zealand and headed up their Centre for Critical Infrastructure Protection, where we were responsible for trying to protect the big end of town from cyber threat. And I did that for three years, then returned to Australia and headed up network vulnerability operations inside of Defence. Alrighty, so uh, I suppose it was during this period that you uh, formed your worldview, if you want to put it that way. You formed your view of what information security was, how it was practised, and, uh, you know, eventually you, did, you made the decision to leave the public sector, to join uh, the private sector. And you found there's been some fairly significant differences between the way things are done in the sort of intelligence and defence world versus the way they're done in the private sector. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I, I sort of, um, just to uh, qualify that, I, I left the government sector purely because myself and the, and the guys that came with me thought we could make a bigger difference to Australia's national security outside of government than we could inside. So whilst, you know, absolutely cherished every, my, my time in there or, you know, I've very I've valued and learnt a lot and it's a fantastic place to work and so I just thought it was, the timing was right for us to go out because there was a, a bit of a gap in the market as far as what we were seeing um, from the security vendors delivering services to clients that were becoming victims um, over and over again from targeted attacks. There is differences, and, and I think, you know, some things the private sector do exceptionally well, some things the government do exceptionally well. Um, one of those is the private sector understands risk really, really well and can put a monetary value on risk so they know what they will, are willing to invest to mitigate or minimise that risk. The government, on the other hand, does compliance and 
to things like the Information Security Manual and the PSPF extremely well, much better than I now know because then when you leave and you look at some of the compliance or the sort of standards or the, the security posture of some of the private sector organisations that you'd assume to work very well, like I said before, I understand the risk that they don't necessarily invest in that holistic sort of uh, security uh, posture, whereas the government goes to great lengths to make sure they're as secure as they can be. So you think uh, to a degree in the private sector it's uh, more about having a risk register than actually implementing meaningful controls? Um, not not in all cases, obviously. I mean, there's, there's certain sectors where people understand both risk but also go to great lengths to make sure that they're as secure as they can be. And then there's other uh, sectors or organisations within sectors um, that probably do take that approach to some extent. Now, you said uh, just a moment ago that uh, you decided to leave uh, where you had been working uh, with a bunch of other guys because you felt that you could make more of a difference uh, in the private sector than in the public sector. What what did you see as being that gap there? What did you see as uh, the, the, the capability that you could bring to the private sector that no one else could? I think it was a, a more in-depth understanding of the threat landscape um, and when you look at it, a lot of the uh, victims in the private sector uh, had security uh, consultants in there. They were spending a lot of money on products and products claimed to provide that prevention or protection that they were seeking, that peace of mind. And at the end of the day, um, a lot of those products that they were spending a lot of money on were ineffective. Um, and don't get me wrong, products are part of the solution, but no, there's no product that exists that's going to solve your problem. And it sort of was something that what we wanted to do was just to be able to go out and like we did with the government for a number of years was to help them understand what the threats that they were facing so better understand uh, the risks that they might be opening themselves up to by adopting certain technologies and um, giving them advice around how you could implement certain things in more secure ways. They're not being prohibitive and saying you can't do something, but rather if you are going to, you might want to do it like this because it gives you that greater assurance. So if you had to narrow it down to, say, the top five or, you know, let's for the purposes of this interview, say top two or three mistakes that the private sector makes in its dealings, I mean, you mentioned, um, you know, investing, placing too much faith in product as one, which seems like a fairly common mistake right. that I've heard of before. What, what are some of the others? A lot of people take a a system-centric approach to it rather than a business-centric approach. So regardless of what security consultancy company you're getting in, if they can't understand your business, I can't see how they can protect your uh, IT um, enterprise. Because at the end of the day, they need to understand your business as well as you do almost to be able to then determine in priority order what the areas or the zones of trust or the, the, the defence in depth approach you need to adopt to be effective at mitigating the contemporary threats today. So are you talking about the uh, the evils of scoping there? Well, so a lot of the, the, our approach is not just to go in. If someone wants a, uh, a pen test, for example, we, we may, after a 30-minute discussion with them, realise that you know they probably don't really need a pen test. What they need most at this point in time is to understand what their security baseline is, understand what the short-term, medium-term and long-term initiatives they can undertake, what that might cost them, um, how successful that will be in mitigating the, the potential threats that their particular company may face 
based on a number of other factors, including the sector they operate in um, and the nature of their business, whether it's a reputational or financial risk that they're likely to be faced with. You know, protecting things of value and that information, but also systems and assets, um, people don't always know what it is that they're trying to protect or what it's worth. And when it comes to information, for, for um, example, even if they do know what information they've got, they may not know exactly where it resides. Um, even if they do know where it resides, they don't know what it's worth because obviously information is generally meant to be shared and, need, and therefore needs to be accessible. Getting that balance between accessibility um, with, for those that have a legitimate need to access that information and balancing that with the ones that don't and sort of creating that culture of security so everyone else understands that because once you've shared it with someone, if they then share it to someone that shouldn't need to know, then the, the information can get into areas or onto networks or into systems that where it may not need to reside and that's easier for someone to come in and take. So it's a, it's a, it's a holistic approach around, I guess, what the business primary function is, what matters most to the business, the, the culture, the processes, the policies and the technical controls and you take that all into account when you try to develop a, a very useful and effective security recommendation or program or roadmap. So what was the uh, what would you say so far has been your biggest private sector shock? I mean, some organisation where you've gone in and just thought, my God, you're doing what now? So I can't really think of anything right off the top of my head that I'd say I'd categorise as, you know, a sort of an OMG type scenario where... They... <laughs> an OMG scenario. Is that official uh, intelligence terminology? No, but we love, love the three-letter acronyms, you know that. <laughs> Now, look, seeing as you have a background in the sort of intelligence end of things, we hear a lot of talk about sophisticated threats. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk of that indeed on the Risky Business podcast. But uh, do you think that it's an issue that has been overhyped uh, by the media or do you think this idea of sort of, you know, like rogue hedge funds and state-sponsored attackers, do you think that's a real risk to large enterprise uh, here in Australia? Um, well... I think that the uh, it's definitely not overhyped. Um, maybe the the people that get the attention of the newspaper aren't necessarily the most sophisticated threat actors and the ones that need to be you need to be concerned about most. But oh, whoever could you be talking about? I think yeah. I mean, there's, there's plenty of threat actors out there, and the threat act, the threat is comes from a variety of sources and 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 interests. I think it's just become more mainstream media news now with some of the high profile attacks um, in the last probably twelve months, and I think in the last. 12 months or just over 12 months since I left, I left the government, there's been more media reporting around more sophisticated type uh, attacks than in the past decade. Um, and I don't think it's any more prevalent. I just think it's a little bit more, um, well, overt to some extent, but there's probably just as much going on that people don't know about. Um, so I, I think it's no way is it overhyped. I think, if anything, it's underhyped, and that's because people don't know. Um, and a lot of the, the, the sort of motivation today is to get in and get information off networks of, off of networks of uh, economic value. So the last thing you want anyone to know is the fact that that's being exfiltrated from a network. Um, and I think a couple of our clients uh, that we've worked for, where it looks like potentially they've been victims, um, have been so for quite some time without ever knowing until we've come in and had a look for that sort of activity. So you're talking about proper sort of uh, intrusion discovery stuff there, right? Correct. So that, that's something that we um, offer as a service is to 
come in and, and do a, a three or four week uh, investigation across an enterprise to look for indicators of compromise um, that someone is has been there and what they may have been after or are still there. It's funny though, when it comes to things like, you know, uh, uh, detecting an intrusion after it's happened, is it difficult to sell the private sector on the value of that uh, of that sort of detection? Because as, as weird as this may sound, I can imagine a lot of people out there in the private sector wouldn't mind keeping a breach undiscovered because it's not a problem until it's brought to their attention. Yeah, I think that the, the problem is, is is hurting their bottom line. So if they are a, uh, a large corporate that relies on uh, generating profits for their shareholders, uh, I don't think anyone really likes the, the, the stock price to go down or the dividends to be reduced. And if that's attributed to some sort of activity, I think I'd want to know if it was my company. There's a way that you can mitigate that at a lot less cost um, than what it's costing you for, by not mitigating it. But you would think that some of this intelligence gathering activity affecting large corporates wouldn't, in fact, have a have a measurable impact on the bottom line. It would be more, you know, strategically collected info about mergers and acquisitions and things like that. No, I think it covers across the broad spectrum. I think there's examples to illustrate all cases. But yeah, definitely what you said is true as well. It's obvious. I mean, it probably. I mean, at the end of the day, if you've lost the, the contract that you were guaranteed to win and renewal and then that's worth a lot of revenue to you um, and you're scratching your head wondering why, uh, there definitely could be something, someone or some somehow someone's got information about that or whatever you were going to renew that contract at and have beaten you somehow. And, and some to some extent you could say it's almost like a, an extension to the, the, the corporate type um, espionage that we're familiar with, but then there's larger stakes and bigger players now in that space. Well, it all sounds terribly exciting. Richard Byfield, thank you very much for joining us uh, for this interview and thank you very much for your sponsorship of Risky Business's coverage of the 2012 OSCERT conference. Pleasure, Pat. Thanks very much, mate.